0: Okay, so we're going to do a series on Exodus, uh, we're going to do a series on Exodus that we're calling He Draws Us Out to draws In. I'll explain uh, what that means as we go on through. I'm super excited about this series because really this book of Exodus, the historical events of the book of Exodus are the, the big story. It's a really helpful way. If you, if you don't know the Bible or if you know the Bible really well, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, it's a really great way to help you understand what God is doing in the big, uh, the big story of the Bible. And so we've been journeying through uh, the Old Testament. Last summer we did Joseph. And uh, Joseph's actually just, you can think about Joseph's story as an Exodus story. Hopefully you you know the Exodus story if you manage to sync the words and the pictures. But here's Joseph's Exodus story. Uh, Joseph was sold as a slave, so we've got slavery. After being rejected by his brothers, he's taken to Egypt. Uh, He's uh, he's, uh, accused of a a crime. He's uh, put into prison in judgment. It's almost like he goes down into the prison. And then he's raised up out of the prison as a prince of Egypt. He delivers the nation from the plague of famine. And then finally, in a reverse exodus, he brings his father and his brothers into the promised land of Egypt. So we've got uh, slavery, we've got a king, we've got him being uh, raised out of the prison, a bit like um, uh, the Israelites are raised out of the Red Sea. And uh, he brings his family into Egypt and they're later going to uh, be brought out. So you can find all the way through the Bible, you can find these little kind of Exodus images. In fact, um, as you read Exodus, it's got like four levels. It's almost like a Russian, uh, a Russian doll uh, uh, but actually, kind of on one level, on the on, on the small level, Exodus is is a people story. It's about a real people. It's about real people that were really slaves, that were really suffered, that were really thirsty and hungry and worried and concerned and 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 and, and struggling for faith. It's about real people. Uh, so on one level, it's that. But on the on the next level, it's also. Uh, uh, a nation story. If you, if you know any Jewish people, they will celebrate this story every year at Easter time. Around Passover time, they'll celebrate this story. This is their nation defining story. We don't tend to have a nation defining story, but it's a bit like uh, if Americans, they uh, celebrate Thanksgiving. And it's not about the turkey it's actually about saying, actually, we're part of this big story where God brought us uh, to this nation as a number of pilgrims, and God blessed us through the first, the first winter, and we're thankful to God for that. And they eat the meal, and it's like their nation-defining story. And then it's a, it's, a kind of, it's a gospel story. It's the big story of what God's doing in the world. So it's basically, we're a people enslaved by sin. You might not like the idea, but that's the truth of it. Habitual patterns of sin that's our nature we can't do what's right we want to but we can't but God who delivers us with a mighty hand and outstretched arm that's what he actually says in the Bible God saves us delivering us from judgment uh, by the blood of a pure and spotless lamb who would that be Jesus obviously the Passover lamb we're three freed through passing through the waters of the Red Sea what's that Baptism. So that's what we're going to do next week. People are going to go through the waters and then they come out on the other side into God's blessing, into God's presence, so that they can encounter Him. Okay, and then they go into a land of promise for eternity. So it's our story, but also it's Jesus' story. And we'll come back to this again and again. But here's a little giveaway that it's Jesus' story. Anybody recognize these uh, names? Joseph, who dreams, Elizabeth, or Elisabeth, who's the wife of a priest. Miriam or Mary, same name, who becomes the mother of God by protecting the people from a uh, promised, uh, uh, protecting the promised rescuer from a genocidal tyrant, Herod, Pharaoh. Jesus, name means Joshua, means God saves. Okay, who leads his people into promise land. There's a strong hint here that this is an Exodus story, that Jesus' story is an Exodus story. So as we go through this book, I want you to you find those levels. You'll find the, the Jesus big story, you find the gospel story, you'll find the nation of Israel story, and you'll find the personal story. Okay? So we'll find those. So let's um let's pray and let's get to work. That was my intro. Father, we pray for your spirit upon me and upon us as we listen and hear your word. We pray, let it speak to us. Lord, we're real people in a real world of suffering and slavery. Lord, we're a real people. We let this be our nation-defining story. Let this be our story. A people rescued, saved and transformed, passing through the waters into the land of your presence. Lord, we pray, let us make much of Jesus as we read this story, because surely, Jesus, you're on every page as the great Redeemer and Saviour. So I pray, let this, let this series do us good. Give us faith to live in this world as your people. Amen. Okay, so the Exodus story, Exodus chapter 1, we're not going to read the whole lot, it's got a whole lot of chapters, so we are going to work the first chapter, uh, and then we'll jump in and out. But the, the Exodus chapter 1 starts with the word, and... You no, know, you're not supposed to start a sentence with and, and if you've got a Bible in front of you, they probably took that out in the English translations because obviously grammatical correctness is more important than biblical correctness for, for translators. But actually it starts with the word and. The word and means it's, it's carrying on from something that's gone on before. And these are the names of the sons of Israel who went through uh, Egypt with Jacob, each with his family Reuben, you know this from the Joseph and the technical dream coat. so you can say these with me. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Nathali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. The, 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 actually, we get another clue rather than the and that this is part of a big story because we get this phrase, these are the names of the sons of Israel. And you get these phrases. If you, go, if you go through Genesis, you get these phrases. In fact, you can, if you've got Bible software or you just go on a thing called Bible Gateway and you put in, these are the names of, and then click Genesis, it gives you four or five different ones. If you go, this is the account of, the family of, you get about another 13 or 14. It's like each heading has this heading. These are the names of, or this is the account of the family of. And here we are in the next book that's with the same thing. This is like... We've got the sequel. This is like we've had we've had the, what's the first one, the Fellowship of the Ring or the Hobbit. And now this is, the, this is the Fellowship of the Ring. And we're going to go for the two towers. And then we're going to go, we're working through this story. So this is the, this is the big sequel. This is the big sequel. So we were in this big story. And actually, as we come to this, this is the, the life-defining story. This, it's almost like if you came into the cinema after Exodus, you'd think, I don't know what's going on in this big book. But actually, it helps to have known the first bit. The first bit we get, God creates humanity. He blesses them and says, be fruitful, uh, multiply, increase and fill the earth. Fill the good world that God has created. Humanity rejects God. So instead of the world being filled with blessing, it says in chapter 11 of Genesis, the world is filled with violence and hatred and anger and death. So we've got this world, this beautiful world that God created, and we've got a world that's gone wrong. What's God going to do about it? Well, actually, he starts with a guy called Abraham. If few were there a few summers back, but God promises Abraham that through his seed—interesting—that little word "seed" it doesn't get translated in English. It's actually a single word, not a multiple word, and actually it means one person. But actually, we get the word "offspring," which could be one person or many persons. But God promises Abraham that through his seed, you might have in your Bible offspring or descendants, that he'd become a great nation that would bless every nation of the earth. That's the promise. And that God would give the people of Israel a land, the land of Canaan. We get that now. We get the big tension around who owns Palestine. That comes back to this promise. Because there were people living there before, and God said, I'm going to give it to the Israelites. Okay, and, but he also inherits, and uh, uh, there's a hint in the New Testament, that actually there's a little whisper that Abraham's seed is going to inherit the whole earth. These are easy answers, because they're always the same one. Who is Abraham's seed? Jesus. So this is the promise that Jesus is one of Abraham's offspring, and he can't have kids, he's going to inherit the whole earth, he's going to bless the whole earth. Okay, that's his big plan, that's God's big plan, but he says, I've got an interesting way I'm going to do this. And let's uh, pick it up here. It says, Genesis, Genesis chapter 15. This is what's going to happen. So really beforehand, this is like in the first movie. God says to Abraham, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants or your seed or your offspring will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. And they'll come back to the land of Canaan when the sin of those who live in the land has reached its full measure. In other words, God's going to let the people that live in the land of Canaan just completely mess it up. And then He's going to say, actually, I'm going to remove you from the land, I'm going to put my people in. But interestingly, the whole pattern is that God's going to bring victory through suffering. That rather than, oh, I'm just going to give you the land, it's just going to be nice and easy, you're just going to walk on in there, guys. Actually, what's going to happen is, for 400 years, there's going to be suffering. Now, where else do we see victory over evil that comes through suffering? Where's the... thank? You, yeah, we're getting it. It's Jesus. <laughs> so there's this story. And actually, it, it's, it's, it's the same. When there's, We find this in our life. You expect life to be easy. But actually, I was talking to somebody and they said, the Christian life is tough. Now, sometimes it is easy and sometimes it's a blessing, but sometimes it's tough because sometimes God's purpose is he wants to bring you through some tough stuff to give you victory over evil that wants to destroy you. I spoke to a lady, she came in this morning, she said, oh, my life's really, really tough, tough, tough. And, and, and she said, but I just feel God's teaching me. That is how it is. This is what God is going to do to Israel. So he says, okay, so they're, they're in the land... And uh, we've got them there. They're all in the land. Joseph's brothers are in the land. And then let's get into the slavery. Verse six, it says, "Now Joseph and all his brothers and that generation died. Obviously, they would because it's four hundred years. But the Israelites were increasing, fruitful, were increasingly fruitful. They multiplied. They increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Where well, have we seen those words before? We've seen, haven't we? Fruitful." Increase, multiplied, fill the land. It's a little sign that these are God's people under God's blessing, even though they're in slavery. Then a new king who knew nothing of Joseph came to power in Egypt and says, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous and too mighty for us. Come, let's do, deal wisely or shrewdly with them or they'll become even more numerous and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour. They, a, a they built Python and, and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. When bad stuff happens, God's people grow. That's what happens mm. in China. I remember reading books about China, people being persecuted in China, going to prison for their faith in China. What happens is the church grows. Actually, we want a comfy life But actually, sometimes God's got a different way to grow his church. But let's move on. And It says, so the um, the, uh, Egyptians uh, spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labour in brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. And in their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly as slaves. So we've got God blessing his people. But what happens, we see a a spiral down uh, from these migrants that move from famine. We see this pattern. Now, it's not insignificant that I've put a modern picture up there. But we see a picture of famine. We see a people in famine, that that Joseph's uh, father and brothers are in famine, and they're basically economic migrants. They move from the land of Canaan to the land of Egypt, because there's food in Egypt. Obviously, it's because God sorted it through Joseph. But they're economic migrants. And initially, they're welcomed. They prosper and increase, and they're welcomed. But what starts to happen is you get this collective forgetfulness. You get this collective forgetfulness that leads to resentment and fear, which which, driven by greed, leads to oppression and slavery and eventually genocide, the desire to wipe out a nation. Let's look at some of these. They're actually quite, a, they're quite relevant today. They're quite relevant today. Those patterns are quite relevant today. So this is a real people. I want to put you to realise this is a real people. Even though it's 4,000 years ago, it could be today. So here's, here's some things that just occurred to me. So what about uh, collective forgetfulness? I don't know if anybody knew what the Windrush scandal was. anybody heard of that? Or watched the news. About three people, the rest of you, Amber Rudd had to resign over it. So you sh- should have. You probably think, who's Amber Rudd? Which bar does she work in? Who did she play for in the World Cup? <laughs> you know. But Amber Rudd, the Home Secretary, had to resign about this because basically, what happened? The Windrush generation. There are a generation of people from the Caribbean. Uh, there are people who were in, uh, who had been the descendants of slaves. Twelve million. Twelve million people were taken from West Africa to the Caribbean and to the, and to the Americas by European like us. They were taken there, and these are their these are their generation. These are the ones. Not quite 400 years ago, but these are a couple of hundred years later. This is the generation. And what they would do, they, they were, the government in 1950, the UK government, after the end of the war, invited this generation into the country and said, all those of our guys have died in the war. We've got, not enough, uh, we've got too many jobs and not enough people. Would you come and work? And so they welcomed, and the boat they came on, what's called the Empire Windrush. Now, it's interesting that we can forget. We can forget so what's happened is that 50 years later, uh, uh, and, and and you and, and you look at we look around we're in Cheltenham we're pretty white here, aren't we? You know. But if you were sitting in London or Bristol with a congregation of people that uh, 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 had been descended from people who had been in, in New World slavery, you'd think, man, this is a big deal. So I, I, even though you might think it's not a big deal, this is a big deal. What happened is that that, that we forgot. This harsh immigration environment, citizenship is removed, healthcare is denied, people who'd worked here, paid their taxes, raised their families and contributed were threatened with deportation. Something in, in the UK spirit when it hit the press went, well, this is not right. But this is what happens with immigrants. They might be initially welcomed, but then what happens is Fear and resentment—we easily forget. I mean, you walk around Bristol. Uh, my daughter's at Bristol Uni. If you walk around Clifton, there's some really lovely, massive houses. But actually, I like sometimes remind myself: do you think those houses were built by merchants who got rich on the black, on the back of black African slaves? Some of the houses in Cheltenham were built like that. London. We got rich as a nation through slavery. And now what we get is we get this sense of resentment and fear. Immigration, it's out of control. What are we going to do about these immigrants? It, uh, uh, the, the, the passage says, the Israelites have become, Pharaoh says, the Israelites have become too numerous and too mighty for us. Come, well, let's deal shrewdly with them. You know, we need to sort something out. We need to do some, have a political decision because we're really scared of immigrants. And Naomi said, this is a bit political. No, the Bible is political. I'm not making a point about Brexit. There was loads of reasons to vote for breakfast. But if Brexit was... Not breakfast. (laughs) Brexit. Vote for breakfast. But the reason why a lot of people voted for Brexit was out of wrong reasons. Yeah, there are reasons about sovereignty and parliaments and stuff like that. They're valid. But if your reason was the immigrants have become too numerous and too many... That is not out of a good out of a good place. That's not out of a good place. Let's do something about it. Pharaoh starts to suddenly put the Egyptians as the oppressed, and the Israelites, who are a small minority, as the oppressors. It's easy to do that. They're all taking our jobs. There's a very small number of immigrants in this country. There's some here, and we're glad you're here. Because actually, God promised Abraham that he was going to make his nation, his seed, bless every nation. And at the end of the story, we see God's church is made up of every tribe and tongue and nation. Now, I know that immigration and people that are different for us can raise fears and resentments. I understand that. But we can't let that run. It's not got a place in the church. It's actually from the other forces that run this world. It's from Pharaoh wants to dehumanise an ethnic minority to justify their enslavement. This is a real story of real people. So there's greed at work as well. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour and they built uh, cities, store cities for Pharaoh of Ramesses and Pi- uh, uh, Python. These, basically, this is the, 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 the slaves were put to work to make cities where he could store his wealth. Modern slavery is driven By greed. Slavery 400 years ago was driven by greed. The the glory that's Rome, it's great to go to Rome. I love to walk around that bit of the centre of Rome. But that was built by slaves. 50% of the population of Rome were slaves. You know, as I said, we grew rich from slavery. And it still happens. Modern slavery still happens. 2013 figures. £35 billion worth of money is made from human trafficking globally. That's huge. It's now more like 45 million. It's exponentially growing. There are nearly between 30 and 45 million slaves globally. There's 13,000 people who are enslaved in this country. Slavery is still there. I know this is a spiritual story, but it's also a story about justice. God is concerned about justice. We're partnering with Trinity Church um, and a number of churches in town to, to do a... To do a, 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 a a thing called Not On Our Turf, Cheltenham Against Slavery. There's a website, you can search search for it, Not On Our Turf. I want to encourage you, go home, search the website, Not On Our Turf, and there's there's a petition, and so far, how many people in Cheltenham have signed it? Three. We need to sign that petition. We need to sign that and work with the police and work with the council and the jockey club at the race course to say, Not On Our Turf. That's why we called it Turf, because the race course. Because every time race week comes, there's l- women uh, trafficked into Cheltenham who for, for sex. Often, if you go get your car washed, it might be washed by somebody who's enslaved. If you get your nails done, lady, a nail bar, they might be done by somebody who's enslaved. We need to have our eyes open and not just spiritualize this. We've un- we got to understand that this matters. We've got to do something about this. So this is a real story of real people. And Exodus builds a chilling picture of the brutal oppression of the Israelites by their Egyptian slave masters. It piles up the words. Oppress them, forced labour, work them ruthlessly. Bitter, harsh labour, work them ruthlessly. It, they've got this kind of sense where you know, that it keeps using the same words. Oppression, harsh labour, brutal, ruthless, destructive. Every word, says Tim Chester, is like the crack of the slave master's whip. You need to understand that this is real slavery. These people are being oppressed horribly. Real slavery. It's interesting, as I said when I read the passage, that actually the thing is when they're oppressed, they increase. There's a, uh, when the church has been oppressed in the past, it's increased. So if you read the book of Acts, persecution comes, and then the next bit, we read it uh, on Friday, a week in the Word, next bit says, and the church grew. The Roman Empire, oppressing Christians. What happens? The church grew. In fact, uh, there's a a, a, a theologian from the 3rd century ago called uh, Tertullian who wrote this. It says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Woo. Well, I'm not really looking forward to that. But sometimes that's the way God gets... The church grows. He grows through the Christians oppressed, put in prison, difficulty, challenge. Now, you're not probably going to be asked to do that. But you are asked to not have our highest aim as comfort. But we're asked by God to lay down our life a day at a time. To lay down our life a day at a time. To see... God's people, God's kingdom, be fruitful and increase and multiply. Okay, let's turn the story. Okay, racing along. So the story now begins to turn. So this is horrible oppression. That we've had this downward spiral, and we've got almost to the point where it feels like there's no hope. But here we're going to have genocide and hope come together. Let's read. Exodus 15, uh, 1, verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, When you're helping the Egyptian um, uh, women uh, during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a son, notice it says a son, it doesn't say a boy or a male, it says a son, all these kids have got mums and dads. Kill him. But if it's a daughter, let her live. The midwives, these are the Hebrew midwives, the Israelite midwives, However, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the sons live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives, and they must have been thinking, what on earth is going to happen here? Been summoned by Pharaoh. We're subverting what he wants to happen. Why have you done this? Why have you let the Hebrew sons live? The midwives answered Pharaoh. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. Thank you for laughing. Because it's just completely not true. I'll tell you about it in a minute. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became more numerous. There we are again. Oppression, but yet there's more numerous, more growth. Because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave the order to all the people, every Hebrew son that is born to you must... Uh, you must throw in the Nile, but let every daughter live. Andrew Wilson, who's uh, um, a teaching pastor at a, church, uh, a connected church in London, and he says this, it's a brilliant, brilliant phrase. God's redemption often begins with women. Even if the one who leads the people is a man, the hope begins with women. Let me read that again. God's redemption, it's brilliant, eh? God's redemption often begins with women. Even if the one who leads the people is a man, the hope begins with women. Let's test that little theory before we put it to the midwives. So Eve, she's a woman, the first woman. She's promised that one of her seed is going to be a a, a Satan crusher, a serpent crusher. Ruth, she's a foreigner. She's she's, a... Promised that she'd be, uh, uh, she's promised that she'd have a place in land. She's married by a redeemer, and she becomes the grandmother of King David. The childless Hannah is crying to God for a baby. She gives birth to Samuel, the prophet and king anointer. Esther, the nation saver. We must do that book, by the way. About... Esther, brilliant story of a woman. She's beautiful. She's ma- married to the king, but she's just one of a massive women in the ha- harem. In many ways, powerless. She saves a whole nation. What about Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist? She's not, she couldn't have kids, gives birth to John the Baptist. Mary, or, or Miriam you could say, who becomes the mother of Jesus. What about the, the women at the cross? What about Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb? When God's going to do something, women are often at the front Often we see that women who are excluded from power use their creative ingenuity against powerful men on behalf of the powerless. Uh, if you're a bloke, you know that women have got creative ingenuity and if you want to lord it over them, they will use that against you, <laughs> so don't do that. But in this case, what we see is we see that women have used their, their, their power, their creative ingenuity against a powerful men pharaoh. We see that. So here the midwives. Pharaoh's uh, ordered a sex, sex selective abortion. And when he says the midwives, were, they let the babies live. They didn't kill the babies. And then they say to Pharaoh, oh, actually, the, the Egyptian women are, are really vigorous and, and they give birth before the midwives arrive. It's not true. But Pharaoh believes it. Why does Pharaoh believe it? Because he's a racist. He's a racist, he says, you know, the, the Egyptian, the, 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 the Israelite women, they're like, they're like cattle. They just give birth along the road as they're going along. You know, they're like the zebras who just out pops a baby and on they go. And he's, yes, he's already starting to dehumanize them. And they know he's a racist. These clever Egyptian Hebrew women say, we know he's a racist. So they tell him a racist story and he goes, oh, well, that's obviously true then. They, leave. he uses their ingenuity. There's absolutely no truth in the rumor that Israelite women give birth faster than anyone else. But they use their giftedness to help the powerless against the oppressed. I, I, I want to men, mention somebody who was here, a, a part of this church, a, a, a lady called Abby Sidri. She's got a leadership gift. Uh, They've moved to the States. But the thing about Abby, when she was here, she used everything she had, all her leadership gift, to work with the really vulnerable, the marginalized, the immigrants, the people that were poor. And I find in in my observation of of 20-odd years in church life, women, it doesn't mean, guys, you're exempted, but women see this. Women see oppression. Oppression. Women see injustice and women think something should be done about it. Now, there's a space where Abbey used to be in this church and I really want to encourage you women, if you feel I want to care about the poor, I want to do something about injustice, come on, step up and lead us. Is there any amen there? Thank you, ladies. Come on. Once Pharaoh's dehumanised... The Israelites, it's, it's not far, genocide is not far behind. That's what Hitler did 4,000 years later, dehumanize the Hebrews so genocide could follow. Pharaoh gives this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw in the l- now, but let every girl live. The sons of Israel are, are literally blood sacrifices to the Egyptian god of the River Nile. The, the Nile's going to turn to blood later on. Why? Because Pharaoh has said, I want you to give your sons and daughters, throw them in the river. It's like a sacrifice. But as I said earlier, that, that each, each, of one, there's, each of those is a, is, is a child. Each of those is a son. I don't know if you've ever been to the Holocaust museums. One of the things that's staggering is you just seal the piles of glasses. You know, not drinking glasses, but reading glasses. The piles of shoes. Each pair of shoes is a, a person. Each pair of shoes is a person with a family that loved and cried when they were taken on the transports. This is the story we're in. This is a genocidal story. This is select, sex-selective abortion. Let me say something about abortion in, in passing, and I know that this is a big subject. We've touched slavery. We've touched injustice. We've touched women's rights. We've touched abortion. This is a big subject, but but this is about this is an abortion. This is sex selective abortion. Pharaoh wants the boys murdered. You know the thing about abortion is every political qu- cry for women's rights, and I've just championed women's rights, and because it's in the passage, every cry for women's right to choose muffles a silent cry of an unborn baby's right to life. These are staggering figures. In the UK, nearly 20%, one in five of all pregnancies end in abortion. That's 700,000 sons and daughters. 700,000 pairs of little shoes, if you want. The babies are poisoned or vacuumed forcefully out of the womb. Some Egyptian midwives, some some midwives have got, you know, I don't know how you work in the health industry and, and do that. I know there's kind of conscious exemptions. And I know that, that it's complicated and I know, you know, what do you do about a rape situation? And I know those that they those rare complicated, what do you do about that? But the fact is this is happening. This is happening. Our children are sacrificed to the gods of sexual promiscuity and financial convenience. Now, if you're a woman here and you've had an abortion, I'm not here to condemn you. You need a big hug. I really mean that. You need a big, big hug. And it says, we understand the pain and the shame and we understand how you feel. If you're a guy and you've got a girl pregnant and said, oh, I can't manage, you need to have an abortion. You know, we want to understand the horror of that because actually that that we're all caught by these huge forces of evil that forcing our society, and this happens in our society and we just don't care about it, don't think about it. You know, God loves everybody that's aborted their kids. He wants to give a huge hug to you, He wants to forgive you and embrace you. I heard a story of a lady who came to the front of a church uh, in, in, and, um, and told them she, she had an abortion. And they just said, you need to leave. Now, I hope we'd never do that. I hope if you'd know someone who had an abortion, that you'd hug them and embrace them and say, these are evil forces that are causing us to sacrifice our kids. I was talking to someone who said a friend of theirs at uni had told them that they'd got to go pregnant and they had to have an abortion. It was crushing this guy. When redemption is at hand, the evil slaughter the innocent to kill the redeemer. That's what Herod tried to do. That's what Moses tries to do. That's what our society is trying to do. Let's pull out quickly then out of this story now. Chapter 2, we'll just do a few verses, then we're done. If it's been long, I haven't preached for three months and I apologise. But I'm like this anyway. Okay, (laughs) because the Bible's got so much in it. Exodus 2. Now a man of the Israelite tribe of Levi, that uh, married a Levite woman, that means he's a priest, and, and became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When they saw he was no ordinary child, they hid him for three months. When they could hide him no longer, a bit like me trying to hold the baby then, when they get to three months, you can't hide them. They're going to cry, they (laughs) cry. When they're hiding him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile. The sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and said to her female slave, to get it. She opened it up and saw a baby who was crying. She felt sorry for him. And she said, this is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then the, then the baby's sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? I know, just the very person, she's thinking. Yes, go," she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Look at the ingenuity of the woman subverting the powerful. It's Brilliant. She went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh said, go, take the baby and nurse him for me and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Let's just finish this. It's brilliant, isn't it? They, they've got this baby and they don't want to kill it. Imagine you, I mean, it's great we've got lots of little babies, haven't we? Put yourself there can I cope with this? This is a horrible thing. So they keep the baby. But they, they, it says in Acts that they notice it was no ordinary baby. I bet every, ba- every mother says that, don't they? And every mother should say that. Because every baby has got a call on their life. Every child in this church, every child has got a call on their life. They're significant. And this, this, this mom says, this is no ordinary baby. And suddenly the, the faith of this mother causes us to do something brilliant. She, she, um, she does something that, that, that like, has resonance of the story of Noah. I don't know if you, if you know Noah's story, the story of Noah's art, a familiar story in Sunday school. Basically there's judgment uh, on the people. Uh, God says to Noah, build, build a big boat, uh, cover it with tar and pitch, put it in the, in the water, and everybody inside will be saved. They would have known that story. So they thought judgment's coming on my baby. What I'll do is I'll build a papyrus basket. The word basket actually is the same word as the word ark. gives us a clue there. I think they're thinking, actually, I've seen this story before. I've seen judgment on a baby before. I'm going to put this baby in a basket and I'm going to put it in the waters and we're going to pray like mad that the baby's saved. God responds to that amazing faith. So what happens? We get this brilliant situation where the baby's brought up by his own mother. You know, he's breastfed by his own mother, and he's brought up there uh, and um, you know cared for. And he doesn't say how old he was, but clearly that the, the mom's able to care and bring him up and teach him and stuff. And then he's delivered over to delivered over to um, to Pharaoh's daughter, and, it, and Pharaoh's daughter calls him Moses. Here's, this is what Moses means. I think it's a brilliant name. It says she Moses in. uh, It says in the passage means it sounds. Moses means he draws him out. But actually, in Egyptian, Moses Mosh means birth, and S means royal, like Ramesses means royal. So she's saying, I'm going to take this baby, and it's going to be a baby of royal birth. It's going to live in the palace. How brilliant! This baby that was a slave is going to now live in the palace. We've seen that story before, haven't we? We who were slaves now, adopted by the king, live in the palace. Royal birth. We know another of royal birth. Jesus, who's come to be amongst us. But yet, he's also, interestingly, and I don't know whether the, the, the Pharaoh's daughter knew Hebrew or whether it was just coincidental, but actually, Hebrew means to be drawn out. Moses' name was drawn out. My, maybe my name should be called. Long, Moses. <laughs> Long and drawn out. But, you know, but, but it, what it means is to take out of the waters. To take out of the waters. This is Moses. This is the, the royal one who draws us out. Moses has a little exodus of his own, landing here. It says, Moses is fleed, freed from slavery to an evil king. He's drawn out of judgment. He's drawn out of the waters of judgment... And death, and drawn into life of the presence of the King. The baby, before it's even been named, is called that. What's going to happen to God's people is that they're in slavery to an evil king, and they're going to uh, they're going to go through the waters, and they're going to be drawn out, to be drawn into God's presence. Moses is going to have another one at age 40. He's going to try and, try and save his people. He's going to try and kill, kill an Egyptian and he's going to go and have another exodus. God is preparing Moses for what he's going to do. 40 years later, we know the story, but we'll end it, we'll end it there. So Moses is going to lead God's people out of slavery through the Red Sea. He's going to draw us out to draw us in. Let's just finish with Jesus. And as I said, that this, this is Jesus' story. This is Jesus' story. The, the Exodus is Jesus' story, the, the one of royal birth, the eternal son of the King of Kings, born under the oppression of a foreign power, and at birth threatened by death by evil King Herod, who ordered the slaughter of every son in Bethlehem under the age of two. Jesus is rescued through the ingenuity and faithfulness of this right woman called Mary or Miriam. The baby's taken down into Egypt to escape death like Joseph's sons and then drawn out of Egypt as the new Israel. This is the big story, folks. We're going to find out as we go on. We're going to see, I've written some other ones here. We're going to see that Jesus is the, is the true, and better. true and better Passover lamb. Jesus is the true and better Passover lamb whose blood saves us. Jesus is the true baptism who goes down into death that we might be freed from slavery to sin. Jesus is the true bread from heaven who frees us. Jesus is a true rock struck on the cross to give us overflowing life. Jesus is the true cloud who guides his people. Jesus is the true tabernacle of God's presence. Jesus is the true Moses who draws us out to draw us in.